Hey, Jason, just calling in to wish you and everyone else a Merry Christmas. I guess from San Antonio and Krakow. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Well, pops up a beer or a cold libation. Let me tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him, what you got? He said, I'll start off with some talking and some moody clips of popcorn, fighting fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathons. Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on, contests, and of course you know it's all about games. That's a slowdown, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. the other Jason. Merry Christmas. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Santa Jason. There at the top of the show, we had Amy Lee Rodriguez, the beautiful proprietress of the Geomologist Presents podcast, which also features her husband, Carl Rodriguez. Thank you very much for that call, Amy. We're going to hear more from Amy here in a minute. Let me tell you about this episode. This is just a quick Christmas episode, one to drop it, one to wish everybody happy holidays, whatever holiday you may or may not observe, I wish you the best. So what do I have for you today? I have a mailbag segment, we're going to do some calls, and then my Christmas present to you is a movie review, the classic 1982 Christmas horror mindfuck movie of Bloodbeat. Bloodbeat is made by a French director. It's his only ever film. He decided to go to Wisconsin and film a movie about deer hunting and psychics and ghost samurai and a college boyfriend that doesn't know what no means. So if that sounds interesting to you, then check it out. I will do a very short spoiler-free review of it, which says, well, here's a spoiler-free review. If what I just said doesn't totally turn you off, go check it out. It's on Shudder and it's on Tubi. If you just want to hear me go over the movie, stay tuned after the ending credits and I'll give a full spoiler review of it. So, that said, let's get in the mailbag. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Hey Jason, thank you for holding on to that Benny for me. I was just preemptively calling in because I know we're going to play with you and your son soon, hopefully, and I want to hedge my bets. Amy is referring to a Call of Cthulhu game that we've been planning for a while, but due to scheduling issues, it's almost a pickup game and a you know, waiting for the stars to align to let us play. But I am looking forward to that, and hopefully we'll be able to do that at some point. Next couple calls are reference the Traveler recap I gave, and a couple people taking issue with my self-assessment. Hey, Jason, it's Jay. I just wanted to call in. Uh, because uh, your recent episode, The Party Forms, number 299, mentions the game that I ran for you uh, yesterday, 
uh, obviously I tuned into that bit and um, yes thanks for the recap it was really interesting to hear that kind of key points reiterated and I think like you know absolutely spot on with what you said apart from one thing the one thing that you said that wasn't spot on was when you said you think you're the weak link in a player group and I think that's just wrong and false and so I'm saying so dude um I think actually there's a few things I could do to help you. I think one of them would be that to pretty rigidly or stick much more rigidly to going kind of down the list of players in an ordered fashion, especially when we're outside of combat, which would just allow you a little bit more time to speak, a little bit more time to work on what you want to do. Um, but other than that, and that's me, I think you did great, man. Game on. Dude, your session recap of the GURPS Traveler game sounded awesome. Sounded like a super fun session. All the characters sounded really cool. You're playing a mili- ex-military intelligence, huh? Well, you know what that makes me think of, right? Megadeth, Russ in Peace, that album rules. Anyway, man, your AD&D actual play uh, is going strong, dude. It's not bad fan fiction. If that's bad fan fiction, then every single game ever run in the history of time is bad fan fiction, man. Stop being so hard on yourself. That's my job. Anyway, man, Rust in Peace out. That was Che Webster of Roleplay Rescue and Joe of Hindsightless. Really appreciate the calls, guys. And, yeah, I had a lot of fun in that game. It, it was really cool. And I'm definitely looking forward to the next session on the 31st. Joe, yeah, you can be hard on me. I appreciate that. It's it's, it's nice to know I have somebody breathing down my neck. It keeps me on my toes. The actual play, yeah, I, I cringed a little bit recording that. But when we pick that up again here in the future, it'll actually be just running through the modules. So it won't be near as fiction-heavy. I'm not really comfortable as a as a fiction author as, as much as a game master. I think they're two different skill sets, but I, I do appreciate the kind words. Hey, Jason, there's a comment about the paladin thing. Hey, I think, uh, I mean, deep inside you probably are a paladin. You're very self-deprecating and, and show a lot of humility, um, even sometimes to your own detriment. And I think that's what you're putting forth in the character of your paladin. A pride has a bad connotation. So I think what it is is that your character, maybe the term people are trying to get their head around is honor. He is honorable. He does not want to take handouts from others who might need it. He wants to do it himself. And maybe that's to uh, his detriment as well, but um, is it seems like an honorable fellow and a person that, uh, if I had a character in that campaign, would support and uh, go to battle for. But uh, that's me. I like paladins. I never have an issue with them at all. And uh, I agree with Daniel. That is just fucking mean for a DM to have the henchmen kill the players in their sleep. Now, the caveat to that is if the henchmen had been taken over by doppelgangers, um, but in that, but then that should come through play and out in the wilderness somewhere, not, you know, that's just odd that a GM would do that unless just to be a dick, I think, really. Um, I don't understand that. But because uh, hen- the conceit is that henchmen are hired followers and they're relatively loyal. They'll run away. They might take your stuff if you, you know, 
but uh, that'd be very, very odd and very rare. And right, as a, I don't know, that's just very a strange decision that a GM might make. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that GM did have more players. Of course, that's Carl, the Geomologist presents, talking about a recap I did for an AD&D online game that I ran and some comments about you know how I play my paladins and somebody called in talking about how they would play the paladin more haughty, demanding things of the citizens and all that. Maybe it was Daniel Norton that called in that in. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a wrong way to play it. I see paladins like that, played like that. But to me, that's more of a cavalier. I don't, to me, a paladin is, I look at him more as a humble person. So I pl I'm playing, trying to play this a little more humble. But we'll see. It's an interesting character. Hopefully he survives a little bit longer. We'll, we'll find out. We'll see if he survives his first combat. As far as the henchmen and hirelings killing PCs in their sleep, yeah, I, you know, and I don't even know if that ever happened to that player that mentioned it or that was just a concern they had. They, But they definitely were way turned off from hiring anybody, so something scarred them, it sounded like. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see how the game goes forward. But like I said, the current GM, that surprised him as well as me. So, that, and, and I think that is rare. Although Carl brings up the doppelganger thing. So, folks, you better get your detect doppelganger spell ready. Because if you're in Carl's games, doppelgangers might slit your throats while you sleep. I kid Carl. Let me give Carl praise at the same time. Because the other night, we were supposed to play Pathfinder 2. And due to a variety of scheduling issues and sickness and all kinds of crazy stuff, the game didn't happen. Which, you know, stinks when, when you don't have enough players show up for a game. You know, I think Carl and one other player, the GM and one player showed up, you know, which is, is a horrible situation. And I feel bad about that because I'm part of the problem in that situation. But Carl made the best of it. You know, when you're given lemons, you made lemonades. So Carl took that time, that time he had dedicated for a game, and he turned around and he made pre-gen characters for a Traveler game that he's wanting to run. So he kept that constructive time, which is great. I, I wish I had better discipline to do that as opposed to, oh, it's not happening, so I'm going to go watch TV. Now, that night I didn't watch TV, obviously, because I had some other stuff happening. But that's not the point. The point is, not to go into my personal life, but a lot of us, if something gets canceled, we don't stick to that schedule and we just go off and do something that's effectively a time waster, where Carl made positive use of his time and he kept true to the, the RPG hobby, the ethos of the GM. Okay, I'm laying on a little bit thick here, so let's um, switch to a different call. Hey Jason, Rob Bolson on as many on here. Um, yes, I always have characters generated where people can see it, if at all possible. Um, why? Well, bar the obvious reasons, it's much more fun to see somebody generate a character with 18s uh, right there in front of your eyes than it is to have somebody bring it to the table. Uh, it's a very different experience, isn't it? Um, what other points? Yeah, cutting players' throat, player characters' throats while they sleep, not good. And uh, doing that, having a henchman do that, sort of undermines the whole system because why would anybody want to get a henchman then, right? You've kind of defeated the purpose. Anyway, uh, that's all I have to say. Dragon PCs? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, 
and uh, I know you didn't ask for people's opinions on point buy but I'll give it anyway I really don't like point buy I don't know it's, I've talked about the the joy of having random roles and having to play within something that's kind of you're born into as it were just as in real life um, I don't like I don't like everything being made to measure everybody being the same this kind of false equality um, yeah I don't know just it's like something off a it's been like like being offered a quality from a shop a shop shelf uh, sorry if that's kind of crude um, but it's the best I can manage at this time in the morning right have a good one bye bye that was Minion, also known as Rob, a Confessions of a Wee Timmer Spooshy. He mentioned on the idea of hirelings and henchmen killing characters. Would it matter if they were taken over by doppelgangers? I'm curious on your thoughts on that, my friend. The other thing he brought up had to do with a call from Anthony of Casting Shadows. And like Rob, I am a big fan of random generation. I bumped up against this with GMs recently, both with Che Webster with the Traveler game, where... It's, well, what character do you want to run? I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I really like to roll up a random character, make look at the attributes I rolled, ability scores I rolled, and figure out the character from there. I don't come to a game with a presupposed idea, this is what I want to play. So point by is not my favorite kind of character generation. Anything where you go in and you have the full ability to design what you want from the ground up, I don't like that kind of game. I, I, I don't like that kind of character generation. I like to be stuck with what I roll and make the best of it. It makes me get out of my comfort zone and play characters that I wouldn't normally play. And I think that makes me a better person. Makes me a better role player than I was before. I'm, I'm not casting judgment on other people. I'm not saying other people should do things differently. I'm just talking about Jason here. Um, I think Rob's thought that... Play, I, I think there is something to Rob's comments... The idea of random generation and making the best of what you roll, there's something more egalitarian about that than the idea of point by where you end up always kind of creating, not you personally, I'm saying the generalized you. Players oft times will generate kind of the same kind of characters. Maybe not the same player all the time. Same player always generating the same character, but the same kind of character archetypes are always made, right? So oft times if you have point generation, those characters aren't going to be as, as random, so you're not going to be playing as wide a variety of different things. And, and does that get us into the idea that we're saying some characters are better than others? You, you know, and then you get, how does that relate to real life? Are some people better than others? You know, is it better to be some people than others? Well, I mean, people aren't born equal. I, I mean, morally, yeah, people are born equal. Physically and mentally, they're not, you know. Do we want to reflect that in our games? Random generation kind of does, but that brings the real world into games. And even if you're playing random generation and, and you're trying to play whatever you're, you rolled, are you playing a, a pastiche or a stereotype? Or, or you, at the, in the best case, you're playing an archetype of that, those things. So I don't know. It, it's a complicated thing, and it's something people don't want to think about generally. So I, I think it's an interesting rabbit hole that that Minion is leading us down there. But I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I don't think point by is wrong or you're a bad person for doing that or a power gamer if you're doing that. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with random generation. But I personally, because I'm not creative, much prefer random generation. If you if we sit down at a table 
and you tell me, what kind of character do you want to play in my game? I'm not going to have an answer for you because I have no clue what kind of character I want to play in a game. I want to roll the dice, see what they say, and go from there. I want the dice to lead me in that character creation. I much prefer random character generation. If I'm put on the spot and say, tell me what kind of character you want to play, I'm going to draw a blank because I don't think that way. I don't, I don't come to games with pre-made notions. And that's one of the problems I have with games that are point by and games with stat arrays and games where, they, where you go in wanting to know what you want to play up front. And it's funny because I play a lot of games where you do that. Like Barbarians of Lemuria, I love that game, but that game you have to know what you want to play going into it. You know, Rhesus is the same thing. You have to know what you want to do when you go into it. So it's not that I don't like games where you have to pre their point by effectively, but I do prefer random character generation because it takes the onus off me and it makes me do things outside my comfort zone. Okay, that was a long-winded answer to Minion's call. Thank you. Sorry to take that off the rails. Let's see if Mr. Carl Rodriguez can reel us back in. Hey, Jason, you're like almost Bronze Age Greek fantasy game that's uh, working out. Seems pretty cool. And I guess I guess I missed something. I, maybe I missed an episode while I was traveling, but uh, I guess you made up these characters uh, earlier. Um, anyway, it sounds pretty cool, this episode. Um, this is the same episode where you recap the Traveler game. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing. I wonder, I don't know, I know it's your game. Is this a suggestion? But it'd be, I, it'd be cool because they're twins, uh, Apollo and Demeter, or sorry, Apollo and Artemis are twins. So maybe the twins could worship one of each or because of the yin and yang aspect of the twins, Apollo and Artemis, uh, one could, the the male could be worship Apollo, the ranger, and the women could worship Artemis, his sister. So those characters were rolled up way back in episode 296. We're just slowly getting the campaign rolling, as you're going to hear later in this episode. Um, yeah, that's not a bad idea. I think I'd have to do the reverse, though. I think I'd have to have the ranger follow Artemis and the clerics follow Apollo, which would be okay. The The issue being that in first edition AD&D, your clerics have to be the same alignment as the god. Apollo is chaotic good. Artemis is neutral. Of course, neutral. there are no neutral clerics or any druids. And actually, in Artemis's um, entry, these demigods specifies all of her clerics are druids. And since the half, you know, since the sisters are cleric fighter magic users, they they don't qualify. But they could follow Apollo, and the ranger could follow Artemis. So that that's actually a really good idea, and I think I'll borrow that from you. Thank you for the suggestion. I also misspoke there. I said later in this episode you would hear something, but the actual play is not going to pick up till a future episode. After the call-in segment this episode, we're just going to do our review of Bloodbeat. But a show wouldn't be a show without Daniel Norton, Media Baron the proprietor of Bandit's Keep Media Empire, YouTube channel, actual play YouTube channel, podcast. He has products for sale on DriveThruRPG. You name it, Daniel's got his fingers in it. So let's see what he has to say. Hey, Jason. Daniel from Bandit's Keep calling in. 
Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't mean to imply that the paladin was being played wrong. Just that I think that uh, a paladin would probably just stay at the church, right, and not to worry too much about it or think about it, because they wouldn't have money. Um, which I guess ultimately is what you did, right? Because you went and spent the night praying in the church. So, um, no, I, th I think that's exactly what I would have done. I just thought it was interesting to, um, to use the word pride and maybe what you're saying, right? Humble makes more sense, or he doesn't want to take from people because they need it more than he does. That's a really good, uh, good way to think about it. I also wanted to call in and uh, agree with Joe. I think people have been playing, you know, different monsters and such in the game since the beginning. Holmes had a lizard man in his party, right? The uh, Tim Cask just had a video where he talked about his original group had a werebear in it. So, yeah, I, I don't think that's a new thing. Um, what what I think is interesting, though, or that he mentioned, what I think is interesting is the whole gritty thing. And I, oh God, if I could remember who it was, I would say. Um, but I read this blog post, like, maybe a year ago where they actually broke down like different styles of play, and they, they called one style classic. And they were talking about how that's much different than what OSR people play. And in the classic style, um, which is more like how people actually played with campaigns and, you know, lots of gold and all that stuff, is much different than what the OSR has brought back, almost like their own style, using the classic rules that is typically more gritty and slow leveling and lots of death. And that wasn't necessarily how people were actually playing it back then. It was just a new version of that that people... Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Uh, one, Tim Cask's YouTube channel, it's like Confession or Curmudgeon in the Basement. I'll put a link in the show notes. It is pretty good. It's it's well worth watching. As far as old-style play, though, yeah, I mean, people reach high, these higher levels, and there's no way you can't do that if you're not giving out lots of gold and lots of experience points. Uh, you know, some of these higher levels, you need hundreds of thousands of experience points. There's no way you're going to get that if you're not putting out a lot of stuff so yeah the, the low the slow gritty thing you see a lot of osr games push is definitely not the way people played when this hobby started you look at your early campaigns look at arduin that's as gonzo and high powered as it gets you know look at well heck go read you know i mentioned a, a couple podcasts ago holmes's book his novel maze's apparel it reads like something from we think of tunnels and trolls these days. Read Gar read the short the novels or not novels, but the short stories Gary wrote that you see like in Dragon Magazine, or you can find collected editions of them for crazy prices. But yeah, I don't. It's interesting because the early games definitely were Gonzo high powered. People had to have leveled quickly because there's no way otherwise you'd have the kind of leveling that we see in these games and i don't know when it turned gritty because i don't think your 80s was typically gritty i don't think any kids ever played gritty to be honest and you know dragon lance were people playing dragon lance gritty with slow leveling i doubt it you know because they're if you're going to play any of the modules that they put out i mean so i don't know i i think that's a great point daniel's got one more call for us so listening to Anthony's call, something came to mind that I thought was interesting. He's talking about, you know, that people rolled your skills for your, your ability scores for your whatever. He didn't like that. And he's glad that went away. But I got to tell you, when I've run a lot of games, people want pregens. And aren't pregens just the DM making your character for you? So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think I'd want that necessarily for a campaign. But I think for one shots or short campaigns, I'm 100% in to have the GM make the character for me. I should weigh in here because I did that long talk after Rob's minions call and I've talked about 
running pre-gen characters for long term before. For the most part, I don't mind pre-gen characters. I definitely don't mind them for one shots and short campaigns. And I would almost rather somebody give me a pre-gen, say, play this. Because the pre-gen, it gives me the same thing that I get from rolling rolling random dice. Sorry, it's late at night. I'm trying to get this podcast out. It's I, I just got home from work a short while ago. It's Christmas Eve. But rolling random and having to make do with what's there and create a character out of that and be given a pre-gen and having to wrap my mind around it and play that character are both easier for me than coming up from something whole cloth with point by. Point by is a lot of work and you come with a pre-gen. You, you almost need to come already with your, your character and your backstory and all that junk in mind where pre-gen, you don't need that. You can obviously maybe tweak it a little bit. And rolling stats and, and going with the stats is also easier to me. But yeah, I, I don't typically mind pre-gens at all. I, I know that um, there, there's been a little controversy over Harn pre-gen character, but for the most part, that's me and Carl kind of batting back and forth. But the, truth be told, pre-gens are not a big problem for me at all. I, and I almost would prefer a pre-gen character to a point-by character. Okay, one last call this episode. And of course, it's from our buddy Joe over at Hindsightless. Yo, dude, so finally getting a chance to listen to you uh, creating your Pantheon. And it is a fascinating, sorry, I'm bringing my mom's trash cans in from the curb. It is a fascinating psychological study to hear what the creators of deities and demigods had to say about alignments. Zeus as chaotic good? Really? How in the world is Zeus good? He doesn't like humanity. He's constantly tricking women into having sex with him against their will. Like, yeah, that's their definition of good. Interesting. Hades is evil? Why the hell is Hades evil? What does he do bad? He just rules over the underworld. It, it is It is fascinating, man. Really, really interesting. Great stuff. You you say it was boring. It wasn't. It was really cool, man. Anyway, take it easy. Peace out. Merry Christmas. Hey, Joe. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you, too. And, yeah, I mean, you have to, if you're judging it from modern day and modern standards, you you know, you're you're looking at it wrong. But the thing is, these are built, the pantheons and deities, demigods, are built to give you pantheons for your games. So your head of your pantheon is simply going to be a good character. And they didn't design, they didn't, they took inspiration from myths and legends and whatnot, but they're not trying to codify. How how do I want to say this? I'm not, I'm like, say I'm tired tonight. They, they, They took it and said, okay, well, let's make this playable. Right. So Zeus, you know, may or may not be chaotic good in actual Greek myths, but as he's been imported in the D&D world, he's been imported as a chaotic good head of that pantheon, if that makes sense. So you have to kind of forget a little bit about what you know about the real Greek pantheon and the way it was worshipped and look at it from the game terms, right? It's like Minotaurs or Medusa, you know, Medusa was a single person. In D&D, it's a race, right? So you have to you have to forget some of the real-world knowledge and just accept that real-world's inspired what they're doing in the game. A great podcast is Monster Man with um, James Holloway. 
And if you're part of his Patreon at a $2 level, he has a deities and demis, or not deities, uh, um, patron deities, patron only podcast, where he goes through the, the deities and demigods and goes through all these pantheons and he discusses all the stuff. But yeah, you can't totally view it from the real world's eye. You have to accept that these have been imported in to be made playable. So if your only pantheon in your world is a Greek pantheon, you have to have, you, you know, gods that your characters can worship and, and follow. So that, so it may not be an exact, you, you know, it might not exactly match what, what was really done in our earth, if, if that makes sense. But thank you so much for the calls. I really appreciate it. The next segment was a surprise unboxing. It was recorded this morning before I went to work. So sorry about the jumping around time-wise here. Um, just pretend you're in a, a bad movie. Time for a surprise Christmas unboxing. I was walking out to go to work, and there was a package laying in on the sidewalk. And it's from Leicestershire, UK, Peter Reagan. So we know what this is. This is Black Hack. Of course, I bought the the highest tier of the Black Hack when the second edition came out, but he did a reprinting of it, and I went ahead and I think I ordered everything again just because, you know, I'm silly like that. So let's open this up. Sorry I didn't give you the box dimensions. I'm running out of time. But I want to fit in this special Christmas unboxing. So, okay, we've got the box open. He used bubble wrap, which is great. Bubble wrap is much friendlier to the puppies. And in here I have, oh, it's a box. Okay, great. So, okay, bubble wrap is off. This is a box. Of course, it's all black. It's got in silver, the black hack, the, the horned hand symbol there, which the pointer finger and the pinky finger up or how you measure two fingers when you pour a drink, of course. Oh, he has pack and wrap inside to keep things from bouncing around, which is great. There's a pin, in, a black hack pin inside, like a lapel pin, which is really cool. We have um, a card, the purveyors of the black hack RPG, mapping papers, notebooks, and other gaming curiosities from Square Hex. We have a little booklet of divine prayers, a little booklet of arcane spells, a booklet of lore, a booklet of locales, a post or no, a piece of paper thanking me for supporting the black hack. We have a cheat sheet with initiative, armor, attacking, hindrances, panic. So there's two cheat sheet cards. There's a what is this? This is a game master screen for the black hack. Very cool. Um, there's character sheets. There is a... I'm running out of time here. There's a, a fold-out thing for the queer and deadly town of Somerset. It's a fold-out page with a bunch of things. Random tables for town folks, creature lists, things worth having. Um, a, a little map of the town. So it's a little town sandbox here. What's, what's going on down the street? Very cool. Um, another edition of the black, another copy of the Black Hack Rules, of course. A copy of Black Hack Classic Monsters. A hard copy of the Black Hack Rules. And then, of course, inside we have a critical hit table, which really is just a table you roll on to see 
what the critical hit did in the body location. So with the arms, you could have shattered knuckles, hand wrenched off, uh, busted arm, dislocated shoulder, things like that. So very cool. I know that's a really quick and dirty summary, but I need to get to work. So I just wanted to record that really quickly. I did not expect this to show up. And so this is kind of like a special Christmas present. Very cool. Let me clarify that when I said inside in the critical hit table, it's in the box on the inside on the bottom of the box is where the critical hit table is. I did check the the inside lid and there's nothing on the inside lid, but on the you know the, the floor of the box is that a critical hit table. Well, that was a pleasant surprise. With that, as I walk out the door, I'm going to end the regular show. After TJ's wonderful ending music, we will have the movie review. But if you're not going to stay for that, or even if you are, I want to thank all my callers. I want to thank all my listeners. Thank you for supporting me over the years. I want to thank Ray Otis for the coffee cup clip art, even though I used a screenshot from Bloodbeat today because it's more festive looking. I want to thank TJ Drandom for the wonderful music. If you guys want to take part in the show, you can leave a message on Anchor. Send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you include a sound clip, I'll play it on the air and make you famous. You can find me on a variety of discords. I hope your year has gone well. hope next year is going to be a lot better for everybody. And if you're interested in hearing about a schlocky movie, then stay tuned after the ending song. If not, I'll catch you next time. Joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. There is a dustman in your moil's body zipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away start with the audio clip to show you how <laughs> bad the sound editing is in this movie. Um, the dialogue, of course, is pretty flat and poorly written. You'll pick up on that right away. If you can even hear it, is the sound's really bad, which is one of the reasons you need subtitles. Um, so I'm going to play this clip. It's about a minute. The What this clip is, is they had found a family, found a dead hunter. The sheriff's talking to the husband, Gary, whether it's a poacher that he had seen before. And then he asked the doctor how the girl who found the body's doing. And the, and the doctor explains what his treatment is. He was about 200 yards. I don't even know what the hell he was doing. You've never seen this guy before, have you, Gary? No, nope, never saw him before. 
You sure he's not that poster? No, no, not that bad. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive, John. I told you, look, John. We were 200 yards, John. We shot twice. That's okay. Two rifle shots and the opposite direction. I have no idea what happened. Oh, there's anything. Wait a minute. Are you sure you've never seen this face before? Never saw it before in my life. Doc, how's that? How's the girl? Children. I gave her a special treat. Three aspirin out of brandy. Well, we're going to list this as a honey nurse. We'll be going, we'll be following you. Did he hear the doctor's treatment? Three aspirin and a shot of brandy. <laughs> Gotta love it. Okay, anybody that stayed, we're doing a spoiler review of Bloodbeat, 1982 movie. This movie is done by French director Fabrice Ange Zafiratos. I'm sure I butchered that. This is his only film. Which, if you watch this, that will make a whole lot of sense. Um, <laughs> so, a couple of interesting things about this film and its production. Uh, it, it was filmed in 35mm in Wisconsin. The director of photography, uh, Wildemir Mall, thought the film was for television, so he shot it in full screen rather than widescreen. The writer-director, Zafiroto, I'm saying his name wrong, but Zafiratus was under the influence of drugs or at least some of the writing process and the filming. If you watch it, that's obvious. And he stated that the film's title, Bloodbeat, is a reference to the accelerated heartbeat experienced while high. So that's right. The title of the movie has nothing to do with the movie. It has to do with the fact he was on drugs when he wrote and directed the movie. <laughs> and and his reaction to the drugs, nothing at all to do with the film. I, I think that's great. Um, yeah, this film was supposedly released in theaters in 83. I can't imagine it got a very wide release. It didn't actually get on VHS till 88, which is why you'll see different release dates. A Blu-ray did come out a few years ago, I think 2017, by Vinegar Syndrome. Vinegar Syndrome releases a lot of exploitation movies some softcore stuff, um, but a lot of these weird old movies you can't find any, anywhere else. Vinegar Syndrome releases those, so they're pretty, you know, pretty good company as far as finding some some great gems for horror movies, action films, exploitation movies, and then of course if you your your tastes go in the adult line, then they also have a lot of that. Um, but we're not here to talk about vinegar syndrome. We're going to talk about blood beat. I am going to say that because this podcast has already run long, I'm not going to go plot point by plot point, super in depth, but I will point you to a podcast that does that. There's a podcast, the not to stereotype, but the guys recording it sound a little hillbillyish, but it's called the Horrible Horror Podcast. And they have an almost two-hour episode on this movie where they go point by point. And it's pretty good. It's pretty enjoyable to listen to. So I'll include that in the show notes. So if you want to hear more about this movie, go to there. But I'm just going to hit some of the highlights. So let's talk about some of the highlights of Bloodbeat. And I kind of hit them in the my show notes. 1982, way before Predator, we have a kind of an early Predator vision from the Ghost Samurai. Yes, I said Ghost Samurai. It has 
neon effects in here like the like if you thought michael mann overdid it in the keep well this is the basement budget version of the keep so actually in many ways this is the basement budget version of the keep the music is either synth or classical those are the two kind of music in this movie uh, probably because they're both cheap to do um the special effects are, are that weird like neon stuff the Interesting enough, the bad guys glow blue and the good guys have a red glow. So, or at least as I interpret the bad guys and good guys, the director leaves a lot for you to figure out on your own, which isn't a bad thing. And I think I've got it pretty figured out. A lot of people watch this movie say it doesn't make a lick of sense. I think the plot makes pretty good sense, but you do have to infer a couple things. Lots of deer hunting in this movie. It opens up with a bow hunting scene. Um, the family's all into hunting. The, the uncle comes way after the kids come visit. The uncle's coming and he's got a CB radio, of course, you know, and he's called the Red Baron. And the mother of the family who's psychic is the paint. It paints. I, I'm using air quotes because it's really abstract painting, but she paints. So he's on the, the mic or I mean, the CB Red Baron to Lone Painter, Red Baron to Lone Painter. And he's whizzing and they had to have sped this up. But he's jumping like he's going over humps in the road and catching the air. It looks like it from, it's out of the Dukes of Hazard. It's great. And, and then they all get together and they go hunting. And when they go hunting, they go on horseback. So like you have this little rise and you see these like five or six horses come over the rise and the riders are on there and they have bows and they have rifles. And it, it's great. Lots of hunting scenes in this movie. Um, the son in this movie is a college kid and he just doesn't know. He doesn't know what no means. Um, which, which is pretty awkward, actually. Um, his girlfriend they brings home is psychic and her and the mother know each other psychic. So they're at odds. And apparently the mother can kind of see through her paintings, which is kind of weird. Like say there's a ghost samurai in this movie. Um, what else you got? There, there's a sequence in this movie where their neighbors is the redneck neighbor. He's, they have a waterbed and it's like the, you know, 70s and 80s waterbeds where they really, you, you, you know, lots of ripples and and, and ups, ups and downs. The waterbeds, like it's not like a solid waterbed, but, you you know, one where you push on it and it gyrates. Right. And, and he's laying in waterbed under the covers in his robe with his ball cap on. Pretty great. Um, yells at his wife for not getting him orange juice. So she goes and makes some tang, you, you know, powdered orange juice like they took in space. Great stuff. They, like I say, there's the. The killer samurai, um, the psychic girlfriend. Uh, I'll talk about the plot here in a minute. But when the killer samurai kills, she has, I, I get effectively orgasms. Um, you know, either alone or when she's with the with the son, which is kind of interesting juxtaposition when it goes back and forth. Um, he kills hobos. He kills the neighbors. He kills a lot of people. The samurai. I'll include a sound clip of the samurai talking here at the end. The subtitles are great. They have subtitles in here. Not only do you need them because you heard how bad that the um, audio is, but the subtitles have things like mystical boinging. <laughs> and I'll play an example, mystical boinging. And, and they have like um, weird whirring or something, which is Darth Vader breathing effectively. Uh, it, it's it's just hilarious. Um Every there lots of headphone use, like when they're watching TV, they put headphones on to watch TV. And the and the dad in here is when he goes deer hunting, he has his 
Walkman with headphones that he's listened to classical music on. Um, just all kinds of crazy stuff. There's a there's a whole poltergeist scene in the movie where things are flying around the house. It's pretty great. Just lots of crazy stuff in this movie. And the samurai, the ghost samurai that pops up in the samurai armor they see, nobody ever uses the word samurai. There is a flashback to like World War II footage in Japanese. But like everybody says, oh, it's a weird helmet and weird mask or a sword. But they never say samurai. So like, I could believe that like no, the characters in here know what a samurai is, <laughs> which is funny on its own level. Apparently what the story is, and again, this isn't supported by any dialogue in the movie. You have to just kind of come to it on your own. But apparently after World War II, somebody brought somebody, a veteran brought this World War II, brought not World War II, but brought after World War II, a veteran brought home is a war trophy, a set of samurai armor complete with katana and all that stuff. And I guess had the ghost of, you know, had a spirit of a samurai, you know, spirit that came back with it. A ghost came back with his haunted armor. And the mother of the family who's in her forties in this movie set in the eighties, she was a little kid then, you know, after world war two post-war and she found the sword, cut her finger on it. And she psychically beat the ghost. They had some kind of battle and she defeated the ghost. And then at some point she told the kids about it. Now, everything I just said, none of that is shown in the movie. Well, there's a flashback where a little kid cuts her finger on a sword, but none of the rest of it's actually said in the movie, but that has to be the backstory because the way the movie works, it's Christmas. They have Christmas tree up. They have presents. One of the reasons you know the mom is psychic because they ask, how do you, how'd you know my girlfriend was coming? And she goes, oh, mother knows. And nobody else knew the girlfriend was coming, but there were presents under the tree for her, stuff like that. But anyway, the psychic girlfriend shows up and the armor reappears to the psychic girlfriend. And after she cuts herself on the sword, then the ghost appears and starts killing, the armor appears, starts killing people. Um, but it, it's just a wild movie. Go go look this other podcast and listen to the recap, or better yet, go watch the movie. It's on Shudder. It's in the States, at least. It's on Shudder, and it's on Tubi. Um, T-U-B-I, Tango Uniform Bravo, India. Tubi has, I, I, I've watched the Shudder version. I guess, I hope the Tubi one has subtitles. You really need the subtitles. Um, you could watch it without them, but I think the subtitles add a lot. Tubi will have commercials in it, but it's free free service if not go to youtube and watch some of the film reviews on youtube i'm sure they'll show you all the cool stuff and you won't waste two hours of your life so that's also an option but yeah if you want a weird christmas movie uh, and this is definitely a so bad it's good movie check out Bloodbeat. it's um it's pretty great so thank you for tuning in thank you for listening and i'm gonna let you go and i will talk to you guys next week. Take care, folks. Oh, here's the sound clip I promised you. We're going to start. You'll hear the the, the weird whirry, whirling or whatever they call it, which is him, the samurai breathing. And and then you'll hear the mystical bonging after that. And you'll hear the and, you, and you'll hear the samurai trying to talk. So you get all that in this clip. But without the subtitles, it's kind of a mess.
Okay, I'm going to really sign off this time. Take care, folks. Catch you next time.